Welcome everybody to Dragon Quest FM. I'm Austin. I'm BJ. This week we're talking all about Chrono Trigger. But wait. Uh-huh. I know. People are like, what? That's not a Dragon Quest game. But since Yuji Horii and Akira Toriyama uh, were two-thirds of the kind of creation process for this game, and then they were like two-fifths of the so-called dream team, we decided <laughs> that's close enough to a Dragon Quest game, right? Yeah, it's pretty close. So uh, I've seen people call it uh, both the uh, one of the best Final Fantasies they've ever played, and then I saw some people over the weekend when I was looking on Twitter saying that they just considered it a Dragon Quest game because there was a Dragon Quest hero as the hero. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. We should probably say that we're doing this in concert with the 25th anniversary of Chrono Trigger. So it kind of coincides with an anniversary and big event as well. So it's not just that we thought about it. There's really something coming up that's made us uh, really focus in on Chrono Trigger 2. Yeah. So Chrono Trigger, it has kind of some firsts, I guess, in terms of, of video games. But it had some kind of innovative, weird things, especially for its time. So, first of all, uh, you were actually telling me this. They coined the term New Game Plus with Chrono Trigger. Yeah, and it, it was the first time that most people had seen this. There were a couple of iterations of it before that, I think you told me. But it's the one who started the whole, you know, actually getting to play with all of your abilities and items in a new game. And I am very happy about this. Like that's something that I don't take advantage of all the time, but with a game has multiple endings like this one does, it helps a lot. Like you don't have to go through that grind that I hate on restarting a game over and over again, which is one of the reasons I don't play multiple ending games a lot. I know this is like your favorite video game and I know you've played it a ton. How many endings have you seen? Uh, four? I want to say I haven't gotten through a lot of them. Um, I've seen four of them. Uh, I don't remember exactly which ones they are now because it's been years and years. But yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anywhere near all of them. There are like, what, 12, 13 of them, I think, is what I've seen. 13. You said it was contentious, though. I didn't know that because I've always uh, just heard heard the Baker's Dozen. Yeah, when we were well, it's when we were you know doing some investigating for Chrono Trigger uh, a while back, which we'll definitely talk about here in a sec. But uh, yeah, it said so if you because of the way Google works, if you just Google like how many endings are are in Chrono Trigger, like the featured snippet or whatever, is for a YouTube video that says like all thirteen endings. Yeah, and several places say thirteen. But then when you and I were kind of digging around uh, with the whole release date for Chrono Trigger, uh, it seemed like some people said that there were more than that. And I don't know if it's one of those things where people are like claiming they found an ending that no one's seen before. Right. And not putting it on YouTube. Yeah. Or, or what the deal is. But it seemed like 13 saying that they, there were 13 total was kind of like up for debate just on kind of what I saw out there. Uh, which kind of goes up to an, another point uh, we should mention is that another source of debate, let's say, is the release <laughs> date. Apparently, there's yeah. all this like unknown stuff with Chrono Trigger. And as popular of a game as it is, it's weird that there's so much stuff out there that, that's mixed. So with Chrono Trigger, right, uh, I had said the, the release date was August 11th when you and I were talking right. about it. And then there was the, the boss fight fights book on chrono trigger yep. that had the date is like the 22nd i believe yep we were like well which one is it and so you and i spent like 
a morning, a couple of hours, uh, one morning, basically being Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. Yeah, um, really. It, we were, uh, <laughs> we, we, except we, we were like the, I was about to say the postmodern Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. We're like these millennial Scooby-Doo and Shaggy where we're just hunkered over our keyboard where the ghost can't get to us. Yeah. And but we're still eating Scooby snacks. Like yeah. that was the whole thing. Like, like we were still Scooby yeah. snacking. And you're Scooby, of course. Of course I am. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we did all this <laughs> investigating and ultimately came to the conclusion that it was probably the 11th because of an archived web page for Nintendo for Nintendo. It's official Nintendo. Yeah. So because of that, you can't get much more official than Nintendo. And so since Nintendo said it was August 11th, we were like, okay, well it must be August 11th. And I actually wrote up this whole thing all about it because it was kind of like a fun little mystery that we went on. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it was pretty cool. We'll link to that in the show notes too, for anybody who hasn't read it yet, who may be interested in seeing all of our wacky, <laughs> I guess, investigation antics it's true. Uh, into this. So it, it's super nerdy of us. But anyway, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And it was really cool looking at all this stuff because it brought back that idea of the 90s and just how you couldn't find information sometimes because there were forums that were that where people were already talking about how I couldn't find this, but it came out today and it was dated the 22nd. And they said, this is when my store released it. And that they were like, I have the receipt here. And it was it's just interesting to me how not everything got the rollout like it should have because video games weren't really necessarily considered a big deal in the 90s with these releases. And so it's uh, like you just couldn't go onto the internet and look. You couldn't just ask somebody who needed it. Like I couldn't tweet somebody and be like, hey, do y'all have this in your Walmart? It was very hard to get most of the time, that kind of information. So uh, it really brought me back to being like, oh man, I remember having to call like toy stores to see if they had these games on release day, like Final Fantasy uh, 7. And uh, I remember specifically in Donkey Kong Country, Killer Instinct as well. My mom got me out of school early to get Killer Instinct because she was able to find it in Columbia, Tennessee. And so that we could go get it. Um, like that was, I love my mom for that. But it's like, because you didn't know exactly if these places were going to get it on when it was supposed to release. So it's, yeah, I liked doing this and finding that out about Chrono Trigger. Yeah, which is probably, I mean, I'm sh maybe there were delays or whatever and like half the stores or even most of the stores in the U.S. didn't actually get it until the 22nd. Yeah. Who knows? But Nintendo officially has it listed as August 11th. So in terms of just official release date, that's kind of what we decided to go with. And one of the cool things about Chrono Trigger and its release and all of that is that it actually ties in some with uh, current video game news as well. Like some uh, video games for the next generation are going to be more expensive. And that was something that we didn't think a lot about then. Like Chrono Trigger retailed for $79.99 in the U.S. Uh, because of it having to have such a, a larger chipset and uh, was it had to have a larger cart. And uh, I know that it opened the way for Dragon Quest VI in terms of graphics and uh, the way the carts were made. And so it was uh, it's neat to see that kind of thing. Like the prices haven't changed in the last 25 years uh, for the most part. And so when you see games now, the next generation ones going up to 69, uh, maybe with uh, some of the PS5 and Xbox games, people are like, I know, I know for me, it's like, well, I paid that for these games in the nineties, it's, you know, it sucks, but it's all right. It's like, it's not unprecedented. So it's uh, it's just an interesting thing where I'm hoping that kind of thing actually happens for the switch. 
Like I know that's silly for me to say, but I'm hoping that we'll actually have the option to buy physical games on bigger cartridges so that we can get like, you know, they had to fit the Witcher 3 on the cartridge and scale everything down a lot more just to get the assets compressed. Maybe I would be willing to pay an extra 10 or 20 bucks to have a larger Switch cart to uh, to do that with some games to not have to give up some of that graphical fidelity and whatnot. So that's why we have Chrono Trigger and it was expensive then. <laughs> I also wanted to mention, because one of the kind of new selling points when Chrono Trigger originally released was the active time event logic system. That was, right. That's their term, not mine, because it's kind of a mouthful. It active is. time event logic system, where you just move around while people are talking, and uh, I'm just kind of like, eh? <laughs> like, like I, I guess that could have been a big deal in like 1995. Well, even now, we don't get a lot of games that do that that you generally stand there and like Final Fantasy IX was another one like this where it didn't have just fixed boxes. And if you got tired of listening to somebody's dialogue, you could already be moving to somebody else. So it was more of a quality of life thing, I think, than than anything else. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it was just like, I'm going to read the dialogue boxes. And, and with Chrono Trigger, it's like when the dialogue boxes are up, it's not like you can necessarily... You can move around when they're talking, like in cutscenes, but you can't like leave the area or like inspect a box or anything like this. It's like you're basically the novelty is just that you run around on the screen while the cutscene is taking place. And I never really even thought about that like before this. Like that was just something that the game had. I didn't even think about it as being one of those selling points back in the day. I don't even think when I was playing it then, I even knew about it. Yeah. Like as being something that was different. Now thinking about it, having looked at all this stuff and systems for so long, it's like, yep, that's that's what they were doing. And they used and they used it in other games. Which maybe proves my point that it's kind of just like meh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I mean it's yeah. But anyway. So it does in Final Fantasy IX, though, it does give it a very different feel from seven and eight, just in terms of being a bit more alive in terms of the world. So I know that's one thing like Chrono Trigger feels a lot more alive to me than uh, Final Fantasy VI. So, like, just one of those. Uh, just as an example, that same kind of game. So maybe that was just, you know, maybe that's just me, the way that I interpret that. It just makes it feel a little more dynamic. Right. And and what he's talking about, for people who haven't played Final Fantasy IX, is some at certain points in the story, it's not constant, but every so often there may be cutscenes where the characters are running and their dialogue bubbles run with them. So it looks a lot more animated and even, and even you don't even have to worry about advancing dialogue. It does it automatically. Well, even in the normal dialogue, I was playing the switch version the other night, just talking to an NPC on screen. I could just leave the screen while they were talking. And I was like, I don't care about that, but uh, I could just run around and go talk to the next NPC. Right. But the whole game isn't set up like that. Is it not? Because it's been a long time since I've gone through the entire thing. No, the whole game isn't set up like that. Uh, so so some ba- more backstory, technical backstory, fun backstory, I guess, with Chrono <laughs> Trigger. is So it was kind of seen as the big three at the time. And it, we had uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi. He's credited as the game designer. He's the guy that invented Final Fantasy, basically. You yep. have Akira Toriyama, who you know is famous for Dragon Ball, Dr. Slump, uh, Dragon Quest. <laughs> I was about to say there was a there was a video game series that's not very big that not a lot of people like uh, that he did, but I couldn't remember the name of it. Thank you, Dragon Quest. That was it. Uh, that was Akira Toriyama, and then Yuji Horii, who you know invented Dragon Quest, is credited as a supervisor. So as the story mm-hmm. goes, the three of them were in the U.S. together doing research, 
I guess, video game industry research, and they decided to work on a game together. And the actual directors of the game, though, what I thought was kind of interesting is that although the three of these, the three of them created the stuff, uh, they don't necessarily have like the writing credits or the directing yeah. credits that a lot of other people did. Sakaguchi, he's credited as the game designer, but he didn't really direct it or anything like he did Final Fantasy games. Uh, that Those credits kind of went to uh, Takashi Tokita, who directed Final Fantasy IV and Parasite Eve. Man, I loved Parasite Eve. I know, lots of people love Parasite Eve. <laughs> you didn't, though, did you? Like, you hated it. Or am I thinking of of uh vagrant story vagrant those conflated yeah no it's vagrant story yeah i really want to get into it because i love i love all the mitsuno ivalice type stuff and i want to like vagrant story and i just can never get into it uh and then also another director uh was akihiko matsui and then you had yoshinora kitase and kitase if you're a big final fantasy fan you're going to recognize that name because especially if you were a fan of Final Fantasy in the mid to late 90s, because right. he pretty much directed all of them. He did he did six, seven, uh, eight and ten. And I'm pretty sure that I looked it up and didn't um, Nobuo uh, Ematsu have something to do with the uh, music? Yes. Have something to do with the music, too? Yes. And he's the Final Fantasy composer that uh, everyone goes crazy about. So it's like, this really was, in the 90s, like everyone important in uh, Square Enix at this point, uh, except for uh, Dragon Quest composer, whose name I always forget. Koichi um, Sugiyama. <laughs> Koichi Sugiyama. Yes, I cannot remember that. I don't know why. Um, but uh, he wasn't involved. But pretty much everybody else was. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, they just they left him out. Yeah, uh, and he- then... One thing that I thought was kind of interesting, kind of from the Yuji Hori perspective, is, you know, he, he gets credited a lot with Chrono Trigger. And, and I, I believe he does have a writing credit on the game, but in interviews and everything, he really downplays how much he really had to do with Chrono Trigger. Have you noticed this? Yeah, I've seen stuff where he's like, I did some stuff, but, you know, I didn't I didn't sit down with the game, you know? Yeah, he's basically like, yeah, I, 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 I pitched out an idea. Like, I think he said the time travel theme was his idea. Yeah, and so he, he throws that out there. And then the writers, uh, which were not Yuji Hori, actually wrote all this stuff down and put together like story and dialogue bits and all of that. So to me, uh, every time I read this, I picture Yuji Hori and he's like he's sitting on a couch. Right. <laughs> and, he, you know, he's laying down with his feet kicked up on one of the arms of the couch. He's like smoking a cigarette. And every so often he puffs on it and he's like time travel and then there's like three writers in the room who are like frantically scribbling down in notebooks and then like 10 minutes goes by and he puffs on it again and he's like there's a carnival at the beginning and everybody's like <laughs> frantically like scribbling down stuff you know and then he you know 10 minutes go by and he puffs on it again and he's like oh and we should have a frog character <laughs> and then everybody like scribbles down again you know that's kind of the process that i picture in my mind I hope that's the truth. Like, I really hope that's very similar to what happened. It reminds me a lot of that John Mulaney skit where he's talking about how people, how the people with Back to the Future actually went in and pitched it. Like, have you seen that one? No. Like, you should watch this one because it's absolutely hilarious and points out just how absurd the premise of Back to the Future is, uh, where they go in and pitch this time travel the movie. So that's what it reminds me of this, where Yuji Hori's just like, okay, so what about this? There's a frog. Like, <laughs> like that's you need, you need to watch that. We need to probably link that in the show notes, too. 
which kind of brings us to Akira Toriyama. Uh, and speaking of, of the frog, kind of made me think of him as well. <laughs> so he, he served as the art designer, right? He designed the characters right. and things like that. Uh, so speaking of frog, let's talk about frog first. Uh, so frog, he's literally a frog knight. He's a frog yes. who, you know, is good with a sword. He's all chivalrous and all that kind of stuff. And what I thought was interesting about frog from, you know, all the different chrono trigger stuff you and I have been doing uh, this yeah. past month was that apparently the company, I guess it was square at the time. Mm-hmm. They wanted a non-human character. Uh, so don't know if Robo wasn't around yet at this part of the process or what, but the, the way the story goes is that they wanted the higher ups wanted a non-human character and frog was one of the sketches that Toriyama had just done. Mm-hmm. I assume yeah. for funsies just as you know, he's trying to draw stuff. Maybe he took a break between designing like moral or something to draw, draw like a frog in a night outfit. Yeah. And he just kind of left it laying around and they found it and they were like, "Hey, this this is cool." So that's how Frog got into the game. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. Like I didn't know that. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I do want to say one more thing about Frog before we move on. Mm-hmm. Like there is a game called um, uh, Another Eden on iOS and Android, and uh, the scenario was uh, done by. Um, uh, Masato Kado and uh, the main theme was done by Yasunori Mitsuda and there are uh, lots of uh, Chrono Trigger creators involved in it and one of the main characters in it is a frog with a sword and uh, uh, so it's uh, it's very interesting that it's like uh, the way that they even bill it as an epic story across antiquity present and future from master storyteller Masato Kado from Chrono Trigger um, and it's like he has a frog character in this one too. And it's in one of the main pictures on, uh, on the app whenever you look at it. So it's like, and it's a fun game too, but I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. So just how, how he's like, yeah, let's have another frog character in this time travel game we're making. Yeah. I mean, it worked once. So, (laughs) and technically in Chrono Cross, you can be Glenn, who is, uh, basically a, a human, uh, who's not a frog, but he's not Glenn who is frog. So it's really interesting there where it's like I keep waiting on him to turn into a frog and he doesn't. Glenn, who is not a frog, hangs out with Jeff, who lives at home. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Jeff, who lives at home. So let's head back to Chrono for a minute. So Chrono, the game's Chrono Trigger. Chrono's the main character. They took out the H from his name. I was about to say, but it's Chrono with no H. Uh, For reasons that i am not sure was there a do you know why they decided to take out the h from the hero's name looking at the other names in here uh usually it is a memory issue on the cart where you usually have five characters is all that you can have for a name and so every character in chrono trigger has five or fewer uh characters in there ala luca robo frog bagus all of those so i would assume that's it was just to conserve uh data space on an already packed cart Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember you talking about the the five limit in a previous episode of the show too. So yeah, that totally makes sense then. Why they? Yeah. So there is a reason behind it. Because at least I think that's what it would be. Like looking at everything else, I don't think I've ever heard them say. But just knowing how the the production was done in the '90s, that's what I'm I'm assuming yeah. it's for. Okay, so he, that that makes sense. Uh, kind of like you you alluded to at the beginning of the episode, Chrono is a silent protagonist, kind of like Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read, I also read 
during our, all of this process that we've been doing that is that uh, Yuji Hori, we have him to thank for that because they were kind of on the fence about it because, you know, Final Fantasy was getting more into not having silent protagonists by this time. Yeah. Dragon Quest was still very much silent protagonists. So it was kind of like, well, which way do we go with it? And, you know, Yuji Hori, uh, from my understanding, is that Yuji Hori kind of fought to keep it a silent protagonist. And so they were like, all right, well, that was another thing. You know, he's puffing that cigarette on the couch. And he's like, no, a silent protagonist. And the no, writers are like, he's not talking. Yeah. So they're like, okay, no, no talking. We got it. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting is that, you know, there was really there for a while, like a 50-50 chance that Chrono was going to be talking. <laughs> and it would have been a very different game if Chrono talked. That uh, if Chrono were one who uh, actually had a real personality, it would be a really different feeling game. And you still have a personality with him, like they always do with the heroes in Dragon Quest. But it's always kind of that uh, he's the blank slate that you can put yourself into as well. Mm -hmm. So that brings us over to Marl. Marl, the, the princess who's maybe, you don't know she's a princess. Not at first. Not you at, learn pretty quickly. Yeah, it's after like basically what would be like the prologue, I guess, right? The, yeah. Kind of the tutorial parts. Um, so, Marl, she's a princess. Honestly, that's all. That's all I can really tell you about her. <laughs> like, like so. Before we get too far into this episode, I, I don't really care about Chrono Trigger, and I can hear so many people listening screaming at me right now that my ears are starting to bleed already. Chrono Gate, uh, because I, I know people that are like, "What? What? What?" But Chrono Trigger, I've tried to get into it a million times. You lent me your copy on the DS, which is supposedly the best version to play. Couldn't really get into it even then, but powered, you know, kept powering through and everything uh, based on your encouragement, but also just trying to see what the big deal was. Right. And yeah, I'm just kind of Chrono Trigger just leaves me kind of with a shrug. I don't think it's a bad game. And, you know, it's a game that I guess I'm glad I played, but there is absolutely nothing special about it to me, even a little bit. And I know people are yelling at me right now. I can mm -hmm. hear you. I know it's in the future, but I can totally hear you right now yelling at me. But yeah, Chrono Trigger, there's just, yeah. So, I, so, so a lot of these characters, I'm very lukewarm about. And Marl is kind of one of those characters. I don't think Marl is one of the best characters in the game. Like, she could be really cool. Like, I don't know what it is about the uh, about her that a lot of people do latch on to, because I like a lot of the pretty much every other character in the game more than I like Marl. And it's uh, she's almost like I've come to love Maribel, but to me, she feels like almost Maribel annoying. Oh, really? See, and I feel like yeah. Maribel is annoying, but she has a personality, and Marl, to me, doesn't even have a personality. And, but I agree with you. I, I, I like most of the characters generally in the game. I mean, they're never going to be my favorites or anything, but I do think that Marl is probably uh, the very bottom character for me in the mm -hmm. whole cast. Although I do like that they've made her kind of the uh, not a princess who always needs rescuing. I hate it that you actually have to rescue her multiple times because she can take care of herself. Like mm -hmm. she's a fighter and uh, you, she knows as a character how to get out of trouble. But for some reason, they still fall back on the trope of having to rescue the princess. Let's mostly on over to Luca because she's she's better than Marl. 
<laughs> she is. She is much cooler than Marl. I love Luca. Like she is uh, absolutely fantastic. Like she also uh, is in Chrono Cross. Like she is one of the direct links uh, that you see what happens to her later in life after Chrono Trigger as well. Like she has a fully fleshed out story in life. And uh, I really like that about her. I like that she's, she's kind of, so she's Chrono's like tech nerd friend. Yeah. And she's the guy in the chair. You don't get that because you don't like the Spider-Man movies, the Marvel movies. No, I, I have no clue what you're talking about. The guy in the chair? Yeah, it's from Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. Oh, wait, I've seen Spider-Man Homecoming. That was the first one with Tom Holland, right? Yeah, it's, you know, his friend Ned just wants to be Spider-Man's assistant. He wants to be the guy in the chair and he the computers and tell Spider-Man what to do. I don't know. That's his whole thing. I've seen that movie once and I can't tell you much of anything other than Michael Keaton was really good in it. <laughs> um, hopefully, maybe maybe people are yelling at you about that one too. Yeah. I mean, Michael Keaton was awesome, but just not liking the Spider-Man movies. No, they're fine. I mean, that's one of the few like new Marvel movies I actually took the time to see. Yeah. Um, because I like Spider-Man. But yeah, anyway, I saw it once. That was enough. So then there's Robo, who I, I like Robo. Um, I like him both in battle because he's kind of tough, but he can also heal your party. Right. And I just kind of like that there's this uh, robot that Luca reprograms to be your friend instead of murdering all of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's one of the reasons. And I like their relationship too. After that, if I'm remembering right, cause it's been a couple of years since I played through that part of it, uh, where it's like they're friends because of that. She's like, I'm going to protect my robot. He's not killing us. Yeah. And where he like really appreciates her for, uh, for fixing him like that. Then after, so after robo you meet you, that's when you kind of officially get frog, I guess. Right. Around in there. Maybe you get Ayla first. I can't remember. But you play as Frog early in the game. He just doesn't join you permanently yet. So then there's Ayla. Ayla? Ayla? I don't know. How I always say Ayla, but I don't know, actually. Yeah, she she's a cavewoman. Uh, yep, you meet her she is. in the land of the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, which which I actually like that part of the game. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. Getting to fight the dinosaurs, running around with all the dinosaurs, that was cool. I do have to say that the dinosaur part in Chrono Trigger is so much better than the dinosaur part in Earthbound. That for some reason those two go together in my head because they're mid-90s RPGs that I played around the same time. And the the Earthbound dinosaurs like was so boring, I didn't like it, but I loved the uh, the dinosaur stuff in, in Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there it is. So I did want to mention with Ayla really quickly uh, is because Platy commented on, we did a Chrono Trigger post on Twitter because we like hearing from people and seeing what they think of the things we're going to be talking about. And so Platy mentioned uh, this series of Cavewoman novels. Hmm. He said, he was like, yeah, I really like reading about Ayla from this series. And I, I looked into this because I, I did not know about this series at all. I missed this. Uh, I missed this entirely. There, there's a Cavewoman series that started in the '80s, and that's the that's the main girl. She's a Cavewoman, and she's and based on her description, I just looked this up on Wikipedia. But based on her description from the books, uh, she must look a lot like the one from Chrono Trigger. So I haven't oh. heard. I have not heard officially that this was what inspired that, but. Based on seeing all of this stuff now, since Platy shared that, it seems pretty obvious to me that's like, yeah, that's totally why they named her this and 
yeah, looking it up, like you did that, and I, I Googled it. It was like the Mammoth Hunters is one that I knew about. And uh, I hadn't read it, but I didn't even realize that it was Ayla. Like, yeah, I would. I don't see how they weren't. She wasn't inspired by by the Earth's Children novels. Yeah, and I mean, it was a series that I think the first one came out like 1980, 1981. I mean, the early 80s. So, I mean, it had been out, definitely been out for a while. Several of these books had been out by the time Chrono Trigger came out. Right. So then we get to talk about BJ's maybe second favorite character in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I, I like Magus so much. When I was a kid... I love how powerful he was and how cool he looked. And the last time I played through Chrono Trigger, I forgot where you get him and uh, ended up uh, killing him <laughs> and not getting him in my party. Okay, because I did not get him in my party. You told me he was going to join my party. You killed him with Frog. Yeah, and so... Yeah, I, I did too. And I forgot that was where, like, you don't go back in time and get him before that. It's just like Frog, like, nah, man, you killed my friend. And he... Okay, because I was just either. like, yeah, I was like, he's a bad guy, so of course this is what I'm going to do. I thought it was one of those things, kind of like Sorrow in Dragon Quest IV, oh, yeah. where like you you can defeat him, but then he's also like a playable character later on. Yeah, apparently uh, I just missed him last time because I could not remember at what point you got him, and because uh, it was it was years before I played it since then, and yeah, I missed him this last time. I forgot that was where he came in. Oh, so yeah, okay, he's really powerful when you do get him. Like, he's really cool and alters some of the story and everything because, I mean, he's in your party, but he's cool. Yeah. I like him. Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't realize he was missable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is missable. All right, well, there you go. So, uh, <laughs> I did not know that, but that explains why I never got Magus. I always said Magus. I read it as Magus. Is it Magus? And I always say Magus, like, uh, I've, never, I've never said Magus. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm assuming it can be both. Yeah. We're going to keep talking about Chrono Trigger for a little bit longer, but first, it's that time of the show that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion. What, 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 what shame? So we do have a Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. Join our community. Be friends with us. You can get cool things like Discord rolls, stickers. Uh, I've been shipping out mugs to lots of people as an anniversary present for everybody that's been with us for a full year. So you can get lots of cool stuff by joining our Patreon page and definitely recommend you guys doing that. Also, I wanted to point out that we're kind of doing this Chrono Trigger episode because the entire geek to geek media network is putting on this huge Chrono Trigger 25th anniversary celebration that I'm going to let BJ tell you guys all about. Uh, well, generally what we're going to be doing is we have a ton of posts lined up with uh, different aspects of Chrono Trigger that we're going to be looking at for the 25th anniversary from uh, what the characters my one of my favorite ones is Troidal Power is writing a writing an article about all of the characters in Chrono Trigger based solely on their looks he's naming them and rating them based solely on their character designs because he knows nothing about the game or characters and has never played it so looking at the draft that he has i laughed out loud multiple times so everybody keep an eye out for that one specifically we have a developer's interview with the uh, folks from zaboid games uh have answered a lot of questions for us about chrono trigger and how it inspired their indie rpg uh, Cosmic Star Heroine. So if you haven't played that, it is kind of a similar in tone and a lot of uh, 
of new not nuance a lot of homages to the game uh and because it inspired it so they've got a long dev interview that you can read and uh, just a lot of stuff like that we're reviewing the chrono trigger boss fight book uh that is uh, available right now at bossfightbooks.com it is a really really interesting book to uh take a look at some of the stuff behind the scenes uh and you know looking at it also from a, a more academic perspective uh but yeah just lots and lots of articles for the week uh surrounding the uh, anniversary on the 11th which we're going to say is the anniversary so check that out at geek2geekmedia.com all of the articles will be tagged with the chrono trigger 25th anniversary celebration so check it out. Yeah. And so I, I look forward to uh, reading and seeing all this stuff uh, myself. Right. Because outside of doing this episode and bouncing around some ideas, I haven't had a huge part in it. So I, I'm looking forward to reading uh, all this stuff. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, and I also wanted to mention uh, really quickly that our friend Sam, uh, he actually has this thing up on the Dragon's Den. Uh, so he messaged me about it the other day because he'd read my book. I believe he lives in the UK, read my book and kind okay. of uh, he'd done a similar thing where he played through all the Dragon Quest games like over a few year period Aww. and uh, and uh, said that uh, because of reading my book, it kind of got him back into the series, which made me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, but over on the Dragon's Den, uh, he created this thing called the Completionist Checklist. Basically, what he has here is it's it's all of the Dragon Quest games, the mainline Dragon Quest games, and then he's working on the spinoffs as well. And it's kind of just a way for everybody to put in info mm, for each okay. game as basically a way to just get for like a 100% completion for each game. And so his username over on the Dragon's Den is Tiger Mask, but uh, he was telling me about it. I thought it was really cool. And I was like, hey, do you mind if I, if I mention this uh, on the podcast? And he said it was cool. So mentioning this, going to link to it in the notes. Uh, so for all you folks who want to help put this completionist checklist together, please check that out over on the Dragon's Den. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that idea. Getting back into Chrono Trigger here, uh, talking about some story beats, but also right. uh, kind of just... Uh, how the impact that yeah. Chrono Trigger had on Dragon Quest. I wanted to bring that up too, because, you know, Dragon Quest VI came out not too long after. And uh, and it's very, very similar. Brad mentioned this on, on Twitter to us. And I thought it was funny because I was totally going to bring up the, the same thing. And also the pictures that yeah. he shared were kind of the same pictures I was going to talk about. Is just how much in tone and a lot of the look of Dragon Quest VI feels like Chrono Trigger. Right. You know, and, and what kind of what kind of sent me down on this path is when we were working on that Chrono Trigger thing together yep. about the release date. Uh, I saw a picture of it and it was like everybody it was like Chrono asleep by the like a campfire and everything and people around him. And I saw that and just kind of you know, uh, yeah. seeing the Google image search, like seeing it pop up there uh, and just peripheral vision. I was like, oh, what's Dragon Quest six doing here? And then I looked at it. and I'm like, no, it's that's. Chrono Trigger, that exact same, like I swear, that exact same thing is is in uh, Dragon Quest Six. It looks very similar to that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, the protagonist from Six also looks a whole lot like Chrono. I mean, the, the protagonist of Six kind of just looks like Chrono, but with blue, blue hair. Blue hair, yeah. You know, and, and the, the different realms you visit in Six, I assume, were directly inspired by visiting the different times like you do in 
Chrono Trigger. It sure was. And and Dragon Quest VI also was a massive game that was super expensive. I mean, when this game originally came out on Super Famicom, it was the equivalent of $100 USD. <laughs> yeah. And so it was cheaper in the United States, actually, to get than Japan. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I really feel like Chrono Trigger kind of, uh, really helped inspire Dragon Quest VI, which I think is funny because a lot of people have a very high opinion of Chrono Trigger but don't like Dragon Quest VI so much. Yeah. And I'm the opposite. I have a very low opinion of Chrono Trigger <laughs> and I love Dragon Quest VI. <laughs> <laughs> and I have not played Dragon Quest VI because the game is so friggin' expensive right now. I don't want to pay over $100 for it right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll just have to let you borrow mine. Um, yeah, you'll have to. Like, I'm going to get it eventually, but it's just like every time I see it, I'm like, man, it's like $130. I should have bought that before. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're close You're close to beating 7, and I know you're wanting to do 5 uh, after 7. So yeah, so it's, it's going to be a while before yeah. I actually get to 6. That's why I haven't bought it yet. But yeah, I mean, even looking, even playing some of the ROMs and just seeing the uh, the sprite style and the graphics and everything on it, it is absolutely inspired by Chrono Trigger. Um, and I've seen a lot of people say uh, just around online that we wouldn't have the Dragon Quest VI we have if it hadn't been for Chrono Trigger leading the way technologically. I could totally see that. I also wanted to mention this. It I thought about it back when we were talking about uh, Magus or Magus is just how much... I mean, you know, it's Akira Toriyama, so he kind of borrows from himself <laughs> yeah, from time to time with designs. Uh, but, you know, Magus really looks a lot like Nargle or Nelgle. He's the demon lord villain uh, from oh. Dragon Quest X. He's got this huge scythe. He looks a little bit more like noble and fancy yeah. than, than Magus, but he, he has that same kind of scythe and, and looks very similarly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Magus... And Nelgul, they're both called the Demon Lord, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so uh, so I have to I have to think that the the main villain in, in that's version one right. of, of Dragon Quest Ten. So I have to think that Nelgul there is directly inspired by Magus. And you will see him very early on in Dragon Quest Ten. Where when you're when you're playing the game, even if you go through just the free version, you will uh, go. Uh, you'll see him before you get a chance to to choose your race. So it takes maybe half an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how you play and how you go through it, um, what kind of walkthrough you go through. But you'll you can see him very early on in the game. He looks really really cool too. Like I like the the cutscenes with him. There's also story beats, you know, like the. Millennial Fair? Millennium? Mm -hmm. Millennial. It's Millennial Fair, right? Millennial Fair, yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of Chrono Trigger is very similar to the to the fair, the festival, uh, at the beginning of Dragon Quest Six. Oh yeah. I didn't even draw that comparison. You're yeah. right. I mean they even they even start off very similarly. You know, the main character of Dragon Quest Six totally falls into another world very early on, much in the same way that Chrono, you know, gets sent back to the past. So I mean just even the story beats for for six and Chrono Trigger uh, line up uh, very well at different points throughout their stories. Man, you're really making me want to play uh, Dragon Quest Six right now, man. <laughs> I will say that Dragon Quest Six is a much longer game than Chrono Trigger because right. Chrono Trigger is super quick. I mean, I guess it's one of those games that you could take your time with. To me, it didn't feel like there was a lot of extra stuff to do. 
So it mm. seems like it's always going to be quick when you play Chrono Trigger. Uh, as someone who's played it multiple times, maybe you could speak better on that. But Well, it, it's generally quick, and I think the reason that you can get done in about 20-ish hours most of the time is because it has multiple endings. That they want you to be able to experience all of the different endings and try to play around with the time travel and what you can do in each era to affect that ending. So if it were a 60 hour game, I mean, I don't think people would be playing through it up to 13 times. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And Chrono Trigger, one thing I did appreciate about the game is they have what's it called? The end of time, end of all time. Yeah, the end of time. Yeah, I think it's just end of time, isn't it? I, I don't know. It's, it's it's been a while now since <laughs> I played all of this. I'm googling it. Yeah, it's just end of time. Yeah, end of time. Yeah, but it kind of it kind of works as a good way to to see where you're supposed to go next, right? It's like if you get because it's dealing with such unwieldy concepts like mm-hmm. time travel, it can be very easy to get lost in a game like that. And I think it was a good idea them putting uh, the end of time in there like that as just kind of like a base of operations at a place you can go back to and kind of helps you advance the story and know what to do next and that kind of stuff. You can also totally step through and to the Lavo stuff like mm-hmm. from the get go, the moment that you access the end of time, which is pretty early in the game. Yeah, it's very early in the game. Like you can get one of the worst endings in the game within just a handful of hours. Like yeah. you can technically say you've beaten Chrono Trigger, like what uh, five, five hours six in? hours in? Yeah, yeah. I, I was there around around the five hour mark. Uh, I think I did not go through because the guy there warns you. I can't think of his name right now, but he's like, "You sure you want to do that?" And I was like, "Nah, I don't think I do." <laughs> See, and I save it at the save point just right outside. And I remember, I remember being a kid. And I remember uh, saving it. And he's like, you want to go through there, kid? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And uh, I went in. I was like, oh, cool. The final boss already? And then I died. Yeah. It's kind of like. it was like, ah. It's kind of like the old Dragon Quest thing where like the uh, the Dragon Lord is like, join me. And you're like, okay. And then you kill <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, you, you get what you deserve at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's some pretty cool stuff about it, I guess. Kind of wrapping up here and getting into our, our final thoughts. Um, I, I'll go first since mine uh, may be seen as negative. That way we don't uh, end on the negative note here. Okay, I have one question for you before you do this. Okay. Did you actually beat it yet? I have not. I started I started a new job and got busy with that uh, the last like week or so. And uh, I got very close to the ending. Okay, I guess major spoiler right here. I know we've talked spoilers already, but just spoiler warning for everybody. I got to, I got to where Chrono dies. Right. It was the last part I got, Okay. which I assume, which based on what I looked up was very close to the ending. Yeah. It's pretty close to the end. Yeah. You can continue on and much quicker than you can continue on without resurrecting him much quicker than you can resurrecting him though. Okay. That's good to know. Anyway, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm still probably, a solid three to five hours away from beating yeah, it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got. So so I, I have not beaten it, uh, but I feel like I've seen enough of the game and I, I don't just, and because there's multiple endings and all of that, like I can't imagine that I'm going to get a super good ending because I didn't look like at a fact or anything to see how yeah. to get like, the best endings. So I can't imagine I'm getting a good ending. <laughs> uh, so so I don't really think it's going to uh, change my opinion of Chrono Trigger very much. Right. 
I also should mention that I dislike games with multiple endings. I tend to dislike games with multiple endings. It's one of the things I don't like about Star Ocean as much as I love the Star Ocean games. Yeah. Is, is that I don't like that there's all these like additional endings and, and separate routes that characters can take and different the way the endings work in those games. There's like so many of them. Yeah, I mean, there it's annoying most of the time. And in Chrono Trigger, it it's it's one of those that doesn't really bother me too much, but like I would much prefer a game have multiple endings, but have multiple set endings based on like recruitment of characters. Like uh, if you like, like Iodine Chronicle coming up uh, where you have uh, like a hundred characters you can recruit that your ending is going to be different based on going through which characters and which storylines you go through. Like I would prefer something like that to Chrono Trigger where it's basing it on uh, different interactions and stuff throughout the game. Yeah. So Star Ocean. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really do like that. That's the kind of thing I loved about Star Ocean. Like I planned out what characters I wanted to get from the very beginning. Yeah. So that I wouldn't miss any of them. Uh, and then I made a mistake because the angel people were bad, like you told me they were, and I didn't listen. Romancing Saga 3 has a lot of characters you can recruit, and one of them is a lobster. What? And it's just a little talking lobster. Ben, uh, RPG peddler, uh, you know, wrote for Switch RPG and has done mm-hmm. some geek stuff. He posted a picture like months and months and months ago. And I saw that that was one of the recruitable characters and it looked like the party that he had made was pretty eclectic. And I was like, Hmm, maybe I'll give, cause I, I didn't, I used to not like saga games. So I right. was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get romancing saga three and give this a try. And then like a few days later, they announced like the physical switch versions for romancing saga three. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is a sign. And I got it and it finally arrived and I put it in my switch and I played it for a few hours and still don't like saga games. <laughs> yep, me too. I saw it and it was a Disa, a Winter Disa on Twitter, Disa Oakland. I know I'm mispronouncing her last name, but it's uh she plays so many RPGs and and I talked to her about that. I saw her posting about Saga, like she really loves them. And I saw that uh, Saga, Romancing Saga 3 had been released and just everything, like the multiple endings, all the characters you can do, the branching storylines. I was like, yeah, cool. I'll get this. This looks really awesome. I got it on release day, uh, the digital one. And I played it for a few hours. Like, man, I still don't like Saga games. And uh, so I've not installed it again. I thought about reinstalling it to give it another shot, but I think it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, I... I I wanted to like Romancing Saga 3 and I really gave it a shot. And yeah, it's just I just can't I can't get into it. Which speaking of things you can't get into, Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger. Yeah, for me, uh overall the game, it was fine, uh but it's just it's nothing special. And I I know people's eyes are popping out right now. Uh it's just it's just a to me it's just a game. I don't think I'll play it again. Actually, I know I'm not going to play it again and uh yeah it was just i can i can admire it as a relic of its time like in 1995 yeah i'm sure some of this stuff was super cool as a game now uh i definitely don't really like it um i mean and and even as a relic of its time i can admire it for some of the technical aspects uh but the story story and like the combat and things like that i'm still just not a fan of and uh you know even you know, back in the 90s, I don't think I would have been a fan of it either. And see, I'm actually curious on this one uh, because you tend to like PS1 
era RPGs a lot more than you do Super Nintendo era. That's not true. I mean, Star Ocean, my favorite Dragon Quest games. I mean, th- my three favorite Dragon Quest games are SNES era. That's true. I also hate the, the term SNES. You know, I mean, I guess four didn't technically release on that. Right. Maybe. I'm curious how the originals would hold up for you. I really want you to play the Famicom versions, the Super Famicom versions, because I want to know how they hold up to you versus the remakes. Uh, because we both only played like uh, the you only played the remakes of those. Um, and I did for Star Ocean as well. I played some of the original one, but the remake is better. Um, but I'm actually really curious on how that holds up uh, for you going back to the the 2d over top down view overview yeah i don't know i mean even the ones that i used to play on my super nintendo i, I liked yeah see i always hear you do uh talk way more about things like legend of dragoon and stuff like that for the ps1 and ps2 uh so it's just like i was thinking like that might be flavoring the way that you look at chrono trigger because it's just not your favorite style of rpg yeah I don't know. I mean, we had a we've had very long discussions about like the Breath of Fire games and stuff. Oh yeah, Fire Two. You know, I was telling you all about characters and stuff from that a while back. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely games from that era that I like. So I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see. I don't think it's I don't think it's a time thing. I think it's a kind yeah. thing. I tend to like games based on their their characters and story, but also just like what uh, I can do in them. And I think yeah. my problem with Chrono Trigger is that I feel like there's just not a lot to do. You know, like Dragon Quest VI had vocations I could, I could really build up. They had many medals I could find. And Chrono Trigger just seems like a very, it's a very streamlined game where I feel like outside of like the main story, there's just not a lot to do. It's just kind of like you, you, you speed through this game and then you can speed through it again to get a different ending. See, and I like that. I like the streamlined version of it like this, where I don't do most of the extra stuff in games. I don't go through and collect every mini medal. I don't go through and max out uh, and master lots and lots of vocations. I find something that works for me and then I go through the story. So to play Chrono Trigger, it's uh, I go through this. I, I learn the paths that I like and I have these characters and, and I like the areas too. That's one of the things. I like the battle system in this. We didn't really touch on it. I like having the multiple... Uh, the multiple people be able to uh, combine attacks together. And uh, even though I agree with you on it being ATB, I'm not, I like turn-based way more than I like ATB, but I like the enemies being on the world where you can avoid them um, and that there aren't random battles in it. And it was one of the first ones to really bring that up. I like that you don't go into a battle screen. Like that's one of the things I like the most about it is that the battle screen stays the same as the uh, overworld field. And so I like stuff like that. And I know that you much prefer random battles to stuff like this. Well, it's not even necessarily that. I think really it just comes down to play styles. You know, you like to get through the main story and the content and not worry about the other stuff. And I spend a hundred hours just <laughs> to get entries in like my monster book. And that's then true. I've only made it like six hours into the main story. And then I have to go back and do and beat it. That, and that is I, true. I think that's what it comes down to is that, the games that I could say that are my favorite video games, they're my favorite video games, not necessarily because of story, but because of all the extra content and the other fun stuff I could do outside of the main story. Mm, I can see that. You know, Dragon Quest Eleven. it's all of, I mean, the story is great and all, but there's just so much of the other stuff that I had so much more fun doing. Uh, same thing with Final Fantasy Nine. You know, it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. And it's because I like doing the Magnet stuff, the Chocobo Hot and Cold mini games, and finding yeah. the treasure maps in that Tetra Master. 
uh, you know, super fun card game. It's like it's all the extra stuff in games that usually, you know, make it my favorite video games rather than just like the main story. And so it's Chrono Trigger being a game that's basically just a main story. Yeah. It's not really my thing. I understand that. I can really see that. Also, speaking of Tetra Master, I still have the cards that you made for us to play when we were uh, working together in the Learning Center. They're over there. I'm pointing at them that no one can see. They're over there, though. And uh, we should totally play them. with it. And just so you all know that what we're talking about is Austin made and designed Tetra Master cards, printed them out, cut them up, and so that we could play Tetra Master uh, at work uh, with, uh, with ourselves and the students uh, while we were there during our downtime so it was uh it was a lot of fun and i kept those yeah and i made i made rare cards so that it hurt you did if you if you won that card from somebody yep, <laughs> you did like like we would play for cards and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun and i made sure to keep those whenever i cleaned out my office yeah awesome i don't think i have mine anymore <laughs> so i think that about does it for today's episode i know we went a little long here but thank you guys so much for humoring us and listening to us talk about chrono trigger dragon quest final fantasy and all the other stuff we kind of rambled around on today uh remember you can talk to us directly on twitter at dragon quest fm you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash dragon quest fm and patreon at patreon.com slash dragon quest fm if you want to talk to me directly you can totally do that I'm on Twitter at DragonQuestin, and I also have a regular Dragon Quest blog that is at DragonQuestAustin.com. And you can find me on Twitter as at Professor Beach. Um, you can listen to me on my other podcast, the geek to geek podcast at geek2geekcast.com. And we're part of a media network that we are expanding greatly right now. We have brought lots of new content on uh, for live streamers like Bama Shocks, who does a live D&D stream. Uh, Elinzia and Todd from the Nerdberg Review are now members, uh, so you should check them out. Uh, we have Ariel Dean, who is going to be a writer for us, as well as Ben, the RPG peddler from Switch RPG, is writing for us. All sorts of really cool stuff coming up, revamping our Patreon for the network uh, that you can check out. All of this stuff uh, for exclusive content and uh, new uh, free content at geek2geekmedia.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks, y'all. Bye.